tonight we continue our story, The Reluctant Dragon, by Kenneth Graham. The boy found it an easy matter to set the mind of its parents at ease about his new friend. They had always left that branch to him, and they took his word without a murmur. The shepherd was formally introduced, and many compliments and kind inquiries were exchanged. His wife, however, though expressing her willingness to do anything she could to mend things or set the cave to rights, or cook a little something when the dragon had been poring over sonnets and forgotten his meals, as male things will do, could not be brought to recognize him formally. The fact that he was a dragon and they didn't know who he was seemed to count for everything with her. She made no objection, however, to her little son spending his evenings with the dragon quietly as long as he was home by nine o'clock. And many a pleasant night they had, sitting on the sward while the dragon told stories of old, old times, when dragons were quite plentiful, and the world was a livelier place than it is now, and life was full of thrills and jumps and surprises. What the boy had feared, however, soon came to pass. The most modest, and retiring dragon in the world, if he's as big as four cart horses and covered with blue scales, cannot keep altogether out of the public view. And so, in the village tavern of nights, the fact that a real-life dragon sat brooding in the cave on the downs was naturally a subject for talk. Though the villagers were extremely frightened, they were rather proud as well. It was a distinction to have a dragon of your own and it was felt to be a feather in the cap of the village. Still, all were agreed that this sort of thing couldn't be allowed to go on. The dreadful beast must be exterminated. The countryside must be freed from this pest, this terror, this destroying scourge. The fact that not even a hen roost was the worst for the dragon's arrival wasn't allowed to have anything to do with it. He was a dragon, and he couldn't deny it. And if he didn't choose to behave as such, that was his own lookout. But in spite of much valiant talk, no hero was found willing to take sword and spear and free the suffering village and win deathless fame. And each night's heated discussion always ended in nothing. Meanwhile, the dragon, a happy bohemian, rolled on the turf, enjoyed the sunsets, told antediluvian anecdotes to the boy, and polished his old verses while meditating on fresh ones. One day, the boy, on walking into the village, found everything wearing a festal appearance, which was not to be accounted for in the calendar. Carpets and brightly colored stuffs were hung out of the windows. The church bells clamored noisily. The little street was flower-strewn, and the whole population jostled each other along either side of it, chattering, shoving, and ordering each other to stand back. The boy saw a friend of his own age in the crowd and hailed him. What's up, he cried. Is it the players, or bears, or circus, or what? It's all right, his friend hailed back. He's a-coming. Who's a-coming, demanded the boy, thrusting into the throng. Why, St. George, of course, replied his friend. He's heard tell of our dragon, and he's coming on purpose to slay the deadly beast and free us from his horrid yoke. Oh, my! Won't there be a jolly fight? Here was news indeed. The boy felt that he ought to make quite sure for himself, and he wriggled himself in between the legs of his good-natured elders, abusing them all the time for their unmannerly habit of shoving. Once in the front rank, he breathlessly awaited the arrival. 
Presently, from the faraway end of the line came the sound of cheering. Next, a measured tramp of a great war horse made his heart beat quicker, and then he found himself cheering with the rest, as, amidst welcoming shouts, shrill cries of women, uplifting of babies and waving of handkerchiefs, St. George paced slowly up the street. The boy's heart stood still, and he breathed with sobs. The beauty and the grace of the hero were so far beyond anything he had yet seen. His fluted armor was inlaid with gold, his plumed helmet hung at his saddle-bow, and his thick fair hair framed a face gracious and gentle beyond expression till you caught the sternness in his eyes. He drew rein in front of the little inn, and the villagers crowded round with greetings and thanks and voluble statements of their wrongs and grievances and oppressions. The boy heard the grave, gentle voice of the saint assuring them that all would be well now, and that he would stand by them and see them righted and free them from their foe. Then he dismounted and passed through the doorway, and the crowd poured in after him. But the boy made off off the hill as fast as he could lay his legs to the ground. It's all up, dragon, he shouted, as soon as he was within sight of the beast. He's coming! He's here now! You'll have to pull yourself together and do something at last! The dragon was licking his scales and rubbing them with a bit of house flannel the boy's mother had lent him, till he shone like a great turquoise. Don't be violent, boy, he said without looking round. Sit down and get your breath, and try and remember that the noun governs the verb, and then perhaps you'll be good enough to tell me who's coming. That's right, take it coolly, said the boy. Hope you'll be half as cool when I've got through with my news. It's only St. George who's coming, that's all. He rode into the village half an hour ago. Of course you can lick him, a great big fellow like you. But I thought I'd warn you, cause he's sure to be round early, and he's got the longest, wickedest looking spear you ever did see. And the boy got up and began to jump round in sheer delight at the prospect of the battle. Oh, dearie, dearie me, moaned the dragon. This is too awful. I won't see him, and that's flat. I don't want to know the fellow at all. I'm sure he's not nice. You must tell him to go away at once, please. Say he can write if he likes, but I can't give him an interview. I'm not seeing anybody at present. Now, dragon, dragon, said the boy imploringly, don't be perverse and wrong-headed. You've got to fight him some time or other, you know, because he's St. George and you're the dragon. Better get it over, and then we can go on with the sonnets. And you ought to consider other people a little, too. If it's been dull up here for you, think how dull it's been for me. My dear little man, said the dragon solemnly, just understand once for all that I can't fight, and I won't fight. I've never fought in my life, and I'm not going to begin now, just to give you a Roman holiday. In old days, I always let the other fellows, the earnest fellows, do all the fighting. And I've no doubt that's why I have the pleasure of being here now. But if you don't fight, he'll cut your head off, gasped the boy, miserable at the prospect of losing both his fight and his friend. Oh, I think not, said the dragon in his lazy way. You'll be able to arrange something. I've every confidence in you. You're such a manager. Just run down 
There's a dear chap, and make it all right. I leave it entirely to you. The boy made his way back to the village in a state of great despondency. First of all, there wasn't going to be any fight. Next, his dear and honored friend the dragon hadn't shown up in quite such a heroic light as he would have liked. And lastly, whether the dragon was a hero at heart or not, it made no difference, for St. George would have most undoubtedly cut his head off. Arrange things indeed, he said bitterly to himself. The dragon treats the whole affair as if it was an invitation to tea and croquet. The villagers were straggling homewards as he passed up the street, all of them in the highest spirits, and gleefully discussing the splendid fight that was in store. The boy pursued his way to the inn and passed into the principal chamber, where St. George now sat alone, musing over the chances of the fight, and the sad stories of rapine and of wrong that had so lately been poured into his sympathetic ears. "'May I come in, St. George?' said the boy, politely, as he paused at the door. "'I want to talk to you about this little matter of the dragon, if you're not tired of it by this time.' "'Yes, come in, boy,' said the saint, kindly. "'Another tale of misery and wrong, I fear me. "'Is it a kind parent, then, of whom the tyrant has bereft you? "'Or some tender sister or brother? "'Well, it will soon be avenged.' "'Nothing of the sort,' said the boy.' There's a misunderstanding somewhere, and I want to put it right. The fact is, this is a good dragon. Exactly, said St. George, smiling pleasantly. I quite understand. A good dragon. Believe me, I do not in the least regret that he is an adversary worthy of my steel, and no feeble specimen of his noxious tribe. But he's not a noxious tribe, cried the boy distressedly. Oh, dear, how dear, how stupid men are when they get an idea into their heads. I tell you he's a good dragon, and a friend of mine, and tells me the most beautiful stories you ever heard, all about old times and when he was little, and he's been so kind to mother, and mother do anything for him, and father likes him too, though father doesn't hold with art and poetry much, and always falls asleep when the dragon starts talking about style. But the fact is, nobody can help liking him when once they know him. He's so engaging and so trustful and as simple as a child. Sit down and draw your chair up, said St. George. I like a fellow who sticks up for his friends, and I'm sure the dragon has his good points if he's got a friend like you. But that's not the question. All this evening I've been listening, with grief and anguish unspeakable, to tales of murder, theft, and wrong. Rather too highly colored, perhaps, not always quite convincing, but forming in the main a most serious rule of crime. History teaches us that the greatest rascals often possess all the domestic virtues, and I fear that your cultivated friend, in spite of the qualities which have won, and rightly, your regard, has got to be speedily exterminated. Oh, you've been taking in all the yarns those fellows have been telling you, said the boy impatiently. Why, our villagers are the biggest storytellers in all the country round. It's a known fact. You're a stranger in these parts, or else you'd have heard it already. All they want is a fight. They're the most awful beggars for getting up fights. It's meat and drink to them. Dogs, bulls, dragons, anything, so long as it's a fight. Why, they've got a poor innocent badger in the stable behind there at this moment. They were going to have some fun with him today but they're saving him up now till your little affair's over. And I've no doubt they've been telling you what a hero you were 
and how you were bound to win on the case of right and justice and so on. But let me tell you, I came down the street just now, and they were betting six to four on the dragon freely. Six to four on the dragon, murmured St. George sadly, resting his cheek on his hand. This is an evil world. And sometimes I begin to think that all the wickedness in it is not entirely bottled up inside the dragon. And yet, may not this wily beast have misled you as to his real character? In order that your good report of him may serve as a cloak for his evil deeds? Nay, may there not be at this very moment some hapless princess immured within yonder gloomy cavern. The moment he had spoken, St. George was sorry for what he had said, for the boy looked so genuinely distressed. I assure you, St. George, he said earnestly, there's nothing of the sort in the cave at all. The dragon's a real gentleman, every inch of him, and I may say that no one would be more shocked and grieved than he would at hearing you talk in that, that loose way about manners on which he has very strong views. Well, perhaps I've been over-credulous, said St. George. Perhaps I've misjudged the animal. But what are we to do? Here the dragon and I, almost face to face, almost supposed to be thirsting for each other's blood. I don't see any way out of it exactly. What do you suggest? Can't you arrange things somehow? That's what the dragon said, replied the boy, rather nettled. Really, the way you two seem to leave everything to me, I suppose you couldn't be persuaded to go away quietly, could you? Impossible, I fear, said the saint. Quite against the rules. You know that as well as I do. Well, then, look here, said the boy. It's early yet. Would you mind strolling up with me and seeing the dragon and talking it over? It's not far, and any friend of mine will be most welcome. Well, it's irregular, said St. George, rising, but really it seems about the most sensible thing to do. You're taking a lot of trouble on your friend's account, he added good-naturedly, as they passed out through the door together, but cheer up. Perhaps there won't have to be any fight after all. Oh, but I hope there will, though, replied the little fellow wistfully. I've brought a friend to see you, dragon, said the boy rather loud. The dragon woke up with a start. Ah, I was uh, just uh, thinking about things, he said in his simple way. Very pleased to make your acquaintance, sir. Charming weather we're having. This is St. George, said the boy shortly. St. George, let me introduce you to the dragon. We've come up to talk things over quietly, dragon, and now, for goodness sake, do let us have a little straight common sense and come to some practical business like arrangement, for I'm sick of views and theories of life and personal tendencies and all that sort of thing. I may perhaps add that my mother's sitting up. So glad to meet you, St. George, said the dragon, rather nervously. Because you've been a great traveler, I hear, and I've always been a rather stay-at-home. But I can show you many antiquities, many interesting features of our countryside, if you're stopping here any time. I think, said St. George, in his frank, pleasant way, that we'd really better take the advice of our young friend here and try to come understanding on a business footing about this little affair of ours. Now, don't you think that after all the simplest plan would be 
to just fight it out, according to the rules, and let the best man win. They're betting on you, I may tell you, down in the village, but I don't mind that. Oh, yes, do, dragon, said the boy delightedly. It'll save such a lot of bother. My young friend, you shut up, said the dragon severely. Believe me, St. George, he went on. There's nobody in the world I'd sooner oblige than you and this young gentleman here. But the whole thing's nonsense and conventionality and popular thick-headedness. There's absolutely nothing to fight about from beginning to end. And anyhow, I'm not going to. So that settles it. But supposing I make you, said St. George, rather nettled. You can said the dragon triumphantly. I should only go into my cave and retire for a time down the hole I came up. You'd soon get heartily sick of sitting outside and waiting for me to come out and fight you. And as soon as you'd really gone away, why, I'd come up again gaily, for I tell you frankly, I like this place, and I'm going to stay here. St. George gazed for a while on the fair landscape around them. But this would be a beautiful place for a fight, he began again persuasively. These great bear rolling downs for the arena, and me in my golden armor showing up against your big blue scaly coils. Think what a picture it would make. Now you're trying to get at me through my artistic sensibilities, said the dragon. But it won't work. Not but what it would make a very pretty picture, as you say he added, wavering a little. We seem to be getting rather nearer to business, put in the boy. You must see, dragon, that there's got to be a fight of some sort, cause you can't want to have to go down that dirty old hole again and stop there till goodness knows when. It might be arranged, said St. George thoughtfully. I must spear you somewhere, of course, but I'm not bound to hurt you very much. There's such a lot of you that there must be a few spare places somewhere. Here, for instance, just behind your foreleg. It couldn't hurt you much, just here. Now you're tickling, George, said the dragon coyly. No, no, that place won't do at all. Even if it didn't hurt, and I'm sure it would awfully, it would make me laugh, and that would spoil everything. Let's try somewhere else, then, said St. George patiently. Under your neck, for instance, all these folds of thick skin. If I speared you here, you'd never even know I'd done it. Yes, but are you sure you can hit off the right place, asked the dragon anxiously. Of course I am, said St. George with confidence. You leave that to me. It's just because I've got to leave it to you that I'm asking, said the dragon rather testily. No doubt you would deeply regret any error you might make in the hurry of the moment, but you wouldn't regret it half as much as I should. However, I suppose we've got to trust somebody as we go through life, and your plan seems, on the whole, as good a one as any. Look here, dragon, interrupted the boy, a little jealous on behalf of his friend, who seemed to be getting all the worst of the bargain. I don't quite see where you come in. There's to be a fight, apparently, and you're to be licked. And what I want to know is, what are you going to get out of it? 
St. George, said the dragon, just tell him, please. What will happen after I'm vanquished in this deadly combat? Well, according to the rules, I suppose I shall lead you in triumph down to the marketplace or whatever answers to it, said St. George. Precisely, said the dragon. And then, and then there'll be shoutings and speeches and things, continued St. George. And I shall explain that you're converted and seen the error of your ways and so on. Quite so, said the dragon. And then, oh, and then, said St. George, I suppose there will be the usual banquet. Exactly, said the dragon, and that's where I come in. Look here, he continued, addressing the boy. I'm bored to death up here, and no one really appreciates me. I'm going into society, I am, through the kindly aid of our friend here, who's taking such a lot of trouble on my account, and you'll find I've got all the qualities to endear me to people who entertain. So now that's all settled, and if you don't mind, I'm an old-fashioned fellow. Don't want to turn you out, but remember, you'll have to do your proper share of the fighting dragon, said St. George, as he took the hint and rose to go. I mean ramping and breathing fire, and so on. I can ramp all right, replied the dragon, confidently. As to breathing fire, it's surprising how easily it gets one out of practice. But I'll do the best I can. Good night. They had descended the hill and were almost back in the village again when St. George stopped short. Knew I'd forgotten something, he said. There ought to be a princess, terror-stricken and chained to a rock and all that sort of thing. Boy, can't you arrange a princess? The boy was in the middle of a tremendous yawn. I'm tired to death, he wailed, and I can't arrange a princess or anything more at this time of night. And my mother's sitting up and do stop asking me to arrange more things till tomorrow. We'll continue with our story on our next episode. I want to remind you that we're always on the lookout for great public domain stories like this one to feature on the podcast. If you know of any, please let us know. BigVoiceJ at gmail.com Don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. It helps to spread the word that we're putting people to sleep each and every single night. We also have a YouTube channel, tiny.cc slash bedtime. Thank you so much for listening. Night.